For Jesus, the cross meant denial, it meant betrayal, it meant alienation, it meant abandonment, it meant misunderstanding from those who were closest to him. A student is not greater than his master. And so if they deserted the master and, and he had those experiences, they will do the same. It will happen to us. And if one leads, they must accept that as the cross upon which they must consent to be impaled. How can a pastor in training make the most of his seminary education? And what is seminary actually supposed to teach those who feel called to pastoral ministry? In our interview today, I'm talking with Dave Harvey about his own path to ministry, what he did and didn't learn in seminary, and how to discern whether or not you're really called to the pastorate. Dave is the president of a church planting ministry called the Great Commission Collective, and is the author of Am I Called? The Summons to Pastoral Ministry from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining me again on the Crossway Podcast. It's it's good to be back, Matt. I'm, I'm glad we're going to be able to have a conversation together. Yeah. Yeah. In our last conversation earlier this year, uh, we were talking about your book, The Plurality Principle, uh, talking about the importance of uh, having a plurality of elders in the church. But but in that conversation, you said something that really struck struck me and stuck with me and made me want to talk to you again. Uh, you said something to the effect that every pastor that you know would resonate likely with the feeling that that real ministry, uh, the actual daily experience of pastoral ministry, is, I think you said, dramatically different than what they expected while they were in seminary. And so that comment stuck with me. I wanted to dig into that a bit more and discuss uh, what it looks like even for a guy right now to make the most of his seminary education with that kind of reality in mind. Uh, so, so maybe just to, to kick us off, I wonder if you could share a little bit about your own path to ministry and then how that fit in with your experience of seminary. Yeah, sure. Um, so sh- shortly after I was converted, I think I began to feel... Uh, a sense of drawing, uh, what I was to later, what I would later understand as a, a sense of calling, but it was it was kind of forming in my mind. Just as I would I would go to church on Sunday morning, um, and I would see the the guy preaching. I would see the the, the guy leading worship, and it it was inciting some, something in me. I think Matt, you know, call the the sense of call. Uh, into ministry is often sparked by seeing gifted people doing what they're called to do, mm. and and so that that was kind of my experience. So I uh, was converted, began having that experience, joined a church plant about nine months after it began in 1985, and that church began to grow, and then I was invited to join the staff in in 1986. Uh, which astonished me because when I began to feel a call to ministry, I was thinking, well, I would do what I'm doing vocationally. And then sometime after I retired, maybe maybe in my 50s, I would go into full-time ministry. Mm. And so being 26, uh, my, one, my one life dream, my one life goal was being satisfied. So I had no idea what the, what the story arc was going to be from there. Um, yeah, and so it was in the context of, of ministry then that I, I went to seminary. 
Hmm. So if you could go back, do you think that was a, a good order to take things where you were already in full-time ministry and then also doing seminary or, you know, would you recommend that to oh, guys yeah. today? Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. Mm. Not always possible, but it's. I think it's the, the best option. I mean, I'm truly grateful for the path that the Lord opened for me because I was able to experience seminary while already doing ministry, which meant that I could integrate what was helpful into a model that I, will, I was already working. And mm. I could also measure what I was hearing against already working a model. And I think, I think guys that jump right from college into seminary often miss that. Mm. And, uh, and, and that's a disconnect that can take place. It's understandable. Um, <clears throat> that it, you know, that some sometimes that's the path that people have, but but the reality is that when you're not kind of working in ministry or working in a church, even serving in a church in a in a very strategic way, and going to seminary, the learning of seminary can can remain somewhat more abstract. Mm. It it touches down far less than. Uh, than if you're actually working within a church, so I, I mean, but no, as I said, nobody, not everybody could do that. You've got to have a gracious church, you've got to have a team that releases you, and uh, you've got to have a capacity to be able to do more than one job at a time. Mm. Uh, but but if those things are intact, it, it really does create a, uh, a a sweet spot, I think, for the seminary experience. Hmm. Yeah, I want to dig into more of, of the details of that experience, but maybe just going back a little bit, uh, you talk about how you had this growing sense of a call to pastoral ministry. You were seeing people doing ministry and feeling this desire to do likewise. Um, what did it look like for you to sort of pressure test that call? Because I think that's sometimes something that that you know young guys might struggle with, where they feel this desire for something, but... but um, is that the only determining factor? How, how should they think about confirming that desire or that, that perceived calling? Well, I think one of the ways that the church serves and one of the most important things about calling is to allow the church to play the critical role of helping to confirm the call. And so being able to have the context in the church where you're serving where you're sharpening ministry skills, you're understanding what ministry is all about, you're understanding people a little bit better, you're understanding leadership better, counseling better, and you're enjoying both the discipleship and the evaluation that can come from the experience of the local church. <clears throat> then, ultimately, you're in a position where the church can can lend a confirmation to that call, that internal sense that God has called me to ministry. Um, they can lend a confirmation to that. They can they can uh, objectively validate hmm. that that this is a direction you should go in, which is a far stronger place to stand when you're pursuing ministry. Hmm. So, do you think that would would you go so far as to say that a guy shouldn't start seminary uh, if he doesn't have a church behind him that he's involved in, where he's got support from the leaders, and, and they're kind of saying, yeah, we really think this is this is something that you could be called to. You should go pursue it. Uh, what, what if a guy didn't have that? Is it sort of 
not a good idea for him to, to pursue it? Well, I think he needs to go in with eyes wide open on the disadvantages of doing it that way. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think that that it's you're in the best position to experience seminary in the best way when you are when you are served when you're meaningfully involved in a local church and serving in a local church and best case scenario employed by a local church again that's not going to be everybody's that's not an opportunity that's going to be open to everybody but <clears throat> absent that kind of church confirmation that church validation you have the risk of guys that aren't legitimately called to gospel ministry dropping a hundred thousand dollars on uh, on an education mm. that uh you know that ultimately is 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 going to inspire them and teach them the bible but could be very frustrating because they're not able to work in the ways that they went to seminary in order to, you know, to, in the opportunities that, that they went to seminary to pursue. Mm. Do, do you have conversations with guys like that who are maybe have recently completed seminary or maybe they've they've been done for years and they've struggled to find a job, but they just don't feel like and churches are saying, we don't feel like you're really maybe cut out for this for some reason? Have, have you had those conversations? Well, I have conversations fairly often with guys or or pastors that have guys that are graduating from college and wondering if they should jump right into seminary. So, uh, and and I mean, I just had this experience within the past five days. I, you know, I had, uh, I, I sat with a guy who had a guy in his church and he's saying, yes, you know, he wants to go to seminary now. And one of the things I said is, man, I, I tried to affirm the desire and I didn't rule out that that can't be a, a wonderful experience that sets a guy up for ministry. But I, I also said, listen, honestly, churches are not looking for 26-year-old guys who have spent their entire life in school um, mm. and without any life experience or ministry experience or vocational experience. You know, um, and so I said, you know, churches are not looking to fill their roles with guys right out of seminary. They, they want to see a guy who's had some kind of vocational success where he has had to jump into the work world and he's had to make an income, keep a job. Uh, he's been successful there. He's learned a trade. He's, he's, you know, proven himself there. And in doing that, he's dealt with some of the the very things that the people that he's ultimately going to be ministering to have to deal with each and every day. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's far better to have a role already. And as I said earlier, and then fold seminary into it than just jump from school to school. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into that then, that experience of seminary for you. Uh, I'd love to hear, on the one hand, what some of the most valuable lessons that you learn specifically from seminary that you maybe you wouldn't have gotten from just your experience working in a church. And then on the flip side, what are some of the things that you didn't learn in seminary that people might assume that you would? Yeah, I think it's you know there are there are some that would would be quick to dismiss seminaries or or trash seminaries um, because they're not churches, 
And I think that's a very dangerous place to, to, to live and dangerous positions to hold because with respect to, with respect to seminaries and their faculty, one of the roles they play is in protecting the integrity of sound doctrine. Now, you know, we can say that is the purview of pastors, and I believe it is the purview of pastors as well. But who are the ones that train the pastors? You know, who are the ones that write the books uh, for the seminary classes that the pastors sit in and are, are trained in? So, uh, you know, we've got we've to recognize that the, the expertise that, that seminaries draw and contain, uh, that seminary then becomes a bulwark against the light winds of doctrine that blow all over the place in any given season. Um, and the opposite as well is true. The opposite is true as well. You know, a bad seminary, you know, can take down a lot of guys very quickly. So I think that's one lesson I, I learned is I gained a greater appreciation for how important the seminary is to sound doctrine. Hmm. Um, I also think that it, I, I think there is the possibility of real formation spiritual formation in a seminary because seminaries are are populated by godly professors and instructors and it's you know it's really easy to kind of mischaracterize or create caricatures of ivory towers and academic eggheads or you know however you might seek to diminish the importance of the seminary but my experience has been, and I think any guys that have been to seminary that are listening to this, the majority of people that they've sat under are people that love Jesus, um, have accepted in almost a sacrificial way a call to serve. I mean, honestly, they could be making a lot more money elsewhere mm, than they're making yeah. in a seminary. And, and, so, and, and, and love Jesus and are seeking to, they're in seminary for because they feel a sense of call to shape and form students in the gospel and in conformity to Christ. So that's a that's another kind of lesson that I think I, I learned. And then I mean a real a real practical one, and I hope this is an encouragement for anybody that's listening that might be wrestling in their seminary experience. I think that that for students, hard work covers, a multitude of intellectual limitations. Um, you know, like for me, I was never a great student in in high school, junior high, high school, college, I, until I was converted. I think my grades improved dramatically once I was converted. But huh. but but I mean, I'm I'm grateful to God. Like my my dad was a hard worker and. Uh, he passed that value along. My mom was a hard worker. They passed that value along to their three kids. And so I found that with, you know, with good teachers and, and with a commitment to just work, if I beat on the languages long enough, <laughs> if I beat on systematic theology long enough, um, by the grace of God, it would yield. And, uh, you know, I, I could make it through. 
Yeah, right. How important are the original languages? I think that's that seems to be often people will say that's one of the main uh, value adds of a seminary education is that you do you do spend the time on the languages that would be maybe hard to do otherwise. Yeah, I can remember uh, with one of the seminaries that I went to in the uh, in the interview process. The, the And I don't think the seminary is still in this place, but them saying, yeah, if you don't know the original languages, you, have, you, you should not be preaching the gospel. And uh, I remember thinking, okay, I, that's not where I want to be. Uh, I don't want to be accepting a position that ultimately rules out 95% of the pastors and preachers hmm. in the world. So, and, so you and, don't agree with that sentiment? I don't agree with that, no. <clears throat> Nor does history. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, when you when you look through history, I think, you know, there's plenty of people that have had tremendous gospel impact um, without knowing the original languages. I do think the original languages uh, for some are absolutely essential. I think if you <clears throat> if you have a, a call to teach, um, if you have an aptitude um, I, I think that you should you should go for that. I think that that because of the tools that are available, that every pastor that's preaching should be somewhat conversant in them. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why the, the, the seminaries require it. But I, I wouldn't draw the line where a seminary might, uh, and not all seminaries are the same on this, but you know, in in requiring that or in making that absolutely essential to effective pastoral ministry, uh, because I just I I think that's there's so much there's so many helps now, and there's so many good commentaries and so many things that that are that are dropping the cookies down further in each generation that uh, that that gifted and called people can still do effective ministry without the original languages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago that one of the values of seminary can be the, the spiritual formation, that it helps it helps to shape these guys who are going into the pastorate in a really significant way. Um, how does that relate to the advent and growing popularity of online seminary? What do you, what do you think about the online model? Obviously, it's in some ways makes it the education way more accessible to more guys who are doing just what you recommended. They're they're working in a church, they're working another job already, um, but but is also compromising something that that is important about that experience. Yes, it is, um, and I'm I'm saying this from the perspective of you know I I lead a church planting network, uh, Great Commission Collective, and one of the things we've done over the past years we've work to create a learning management system so we can put everything online. Uh, we've done that because we have international churches, but we've also done that because we've gone through a pandemic and I realized how vulnerable we were, um, that our services were, if we could only do things in person. Hmm. And so the pandemic teaches us that, uh, you know, it's good to have a backup plan and that online learning has a place. I. I think that when you completely remove the experience of, of, of bodily presence, of embodied discipleship, I think you remove an important part of ministry formation, spiritual formation and ministry training. Mm, and, yeah. and so something that blends the two, 
like I think a lot of seminaries are are doing, you know, J terms or one week uh, together and then other stuff online. Um, I, I think there's all kind of creative ways that you can you can create a track where guys experience both. If it's just online, I'd say that that student is at a real disadvantage. Mm, yeah, especially if he's not plugged into a church already serving in that context. And maybe even drawing on that, I, I know one thing I've heard from guys who have uh, graduated from seminary and then gone into a pastoral role is that one of the, on the one hand, one of the best things about that seminary experience was the camaraderie, the fellowship with other guys who are kind of pursuing the same thing, and then they're, they're brothers in arms, so to speak. And, and then I've often heard, though, they get into a pastoral role, and very quickly they feel maybe alone. They feel isolated. They feel like they don't have that that brotherhood anymore. And even even with people in their own church, elders or deacons in their church, it just feels very different. Uh, have you ever experienced that, or have you talked to guys who have experienced that? And, and what would you say to someone who's feeling that way? Uh Yes, I, I'm familiar with that experience for guys that have been in any intense training environment, um, whether it's a seminary or another, or it's boot camp, you know, any, any environment like that where people are being trained and cohorts and relationships are essential to the experience, then wherever they go after that is always measured against the experience mm, of camaraderie right. that they had there. In some ways, I think seminaries can help and can mitigate against that by ensuring they understand the distinction between what they're in and what they're going to have, that life and and um, marriage, parenting, ministry doesn't provide the context um, for the intense relational connections that a, a, a seminary might, or a, or a pastor's college, um, you know, anywhere where the developing of the relationships, the depth of the relationships is part of the program uh, for the training. You know, mm. that's not what a church is. Yeah, uh, you so, can do that, but it, you can develop those relationships, but it's just maybe it's not quite as easy as it would be in a, in a seminary. And Matt, that's why I think it's important for guys to remain involved in local churches while they're in seminary, so that they're not creating, you know, an alternative church, mm. and uh, through their friendships in the seminary, and in so doing, becoming further and moving further and further away from the local church, and away from the realities of what it represents to lead a local church and to serve in a local church, which is ultimately why they're in seminary and what they're trying to prepare for. And so to be involved in a local church, meaningfully involved in a local church, in a small group, you know, doing some counseling if possible, but having friendships there and, uh, and, 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 and whatever discipleship your time will allow, you know, that ultimately will serve them as much, if not more, beyond the seminary experience. As you think back to those uh, early years of pastoral ministry, and, and even as you we're feeling that call to ministry. Uh, 
can you, can you think back about any expectations that you had or uh, assumptions about what that would be like? And, and then how, how would you say the reality has, has kind of changed those for you now that you've been in, you've been in ministry for, for decades at this point? Yeah, I think it's uh, 35 years this month. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think I think there is a, a reality about the place of weakness in ministry. Um, because I don't know if this was just my arrogance, Matt, or or just that I, in some ways, had the same experiences as, as most men. But I thought God was going to use ministry to portray my strengths, hmm. uh, never realizing that God had ordained ministry to reveal my weaknesses. <laughs> um, and one of the surprising things about ministry, and I see this happening so often, I just want to come alongside of guys and, and help in the interpretive process, is... I, one of the surprising things is how, is how God takes strong men and pulverizes them <laughs> uh, and, and allows them or ordains that they endure suffering and betrayal and experiences of, of shame or loss and that nestled within that weakness that results is an inexplicable grace that delivers power for ministry. Oh. So, you know, the, and, 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 and that, that kind of goes to the heart of 2 Corinthians. It goes to the heart of, of, of where ministry power comes from, that the, the, the secret of pastoring is not rooted in our ability. It's actually rooted in our inability. It's not in our ability. It's in God's ability and uh, and so I think the re that reality of of weakness was certainly one of the things that began to take shape in an important way. I, I think another one, Matt, was was people. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by J. Oswald Sanders. He he once said, "A cross stands in the way of Christ of, of spiritual leadership." It is a cross upon which the leader must consent to be impaled. And I think one of the defining realities, or, or let's call it a defining moment in ministry, comes is when you realize that that cross is most often the people we serve. And uh, those we love, those we make sacrifices for. And, and that's not to in any way demonize them. Sometimes we in ministry are their cross as well. Um, <laughs> but the point I'm making is that ministry kind of forms this, this paradox where people are our greatest joy, but they're also the cross upon which we must consent to be impaled. And, you know, so you think about Jesus. For Jesus, the cross meant denial. It meant betrayal. It meant alienation. It meant abandonment. It meant misunderstanding from those who were closest to him. And a, a, a student is not greater than his master. Mm. And so if they yeah. deserted the master and, and he had those experiences they will do the same. It will happen to us. 
And if one leads, they must accept that as the cross upon which they must consent to be impaled. Is is there a, a specific story from your own life and experience in ministry that, that you think kind of illustrates uh, perhaps either the pain of ministry and, and that, that cross dynamic, or maybe like you were saying before, just the uh, an experience of uh, coming face-to-face with your own weakness in a way that was difficult at the time, but now you can look back and see God's grace? Yeah, I think that when it comes to guys in ministry, God uses either their marriage or their parenting to really teach them the gospel. And, uh, you know, for me, it's been parenting. Hmm. Um, so I, you know, I have, uh, I have a de- de- four delightful children that I love with all of my heart, but parenting has been very difficult and had many dangers, toils, and snares uh, for us. And uh, I, I think that I assumed that the parenting was going to be portraying, you know, that that we were going to be modeling and portraying things that uh, said a lot about the the strength of my leadership and the clarity of my leadership. And, uh, you know, really... It, it did far more to teach me about how dependent I am on Christ, how dependent I am on the gospel, how much I need Jesus every day, and, uh, and that the best thing I could do for my kids is to bring that sense of desperation uh, to, to God and to them as well and go to the Lord together. And so I, I think that parenting has been one of the places where I've learned the most about the gospel and the most about myself. I mean, because let's face it, um, and I'm not thinking of any specific situation with respect to my children when I give this illustration, but, um, you know, the, the compliant child, you know, can teach us to be grateful to God because they always make us look good. But that child that's like running up the steps, screaming, I hate you, and slamming the door, um, you know, walking up the steps after them, opening up the door and saying, can I talk? Hmm. Sitting down and putting your arm around them and saying, tell me, you know, tell me what's going on. And and not living out of the offense of what's being said. That takes the gospel. So that compliant child may teach you to be grateful, but that that rogue child or that angry child, that child will teach you the gospel. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, how big a factor was when it came to those two issues you mentioned, uh, parenting and marriage, uh, how big a factor in the struggles that maybe you felt there? And I think that's, Obviously, uh, many pastors, all pastors would, would agree with what you said, that those two issues in particular can be particularly challenging. H- how much of that is due to just the the on-display nature of a pastor's life and family and ministry? Where it, it, did, did you ever feel this pressure uh, as the leader of a church to sort of uh, have both of those things uh, always figured out, always going smoothly? Uh, did that weigh on you at times? Every pastor feels that pressure. Every pastor, you know, you you come in and maybe you don't have kids or you have small kids, but as the kids begin to grow, that pressure descends upon you. 
Uh, it may say something about you. It may say something about the culture of the church that you're involved in. Um, it may say something about the behavior of your kids. One way or another, though, almost everyone has to deal with that. Um, you know, you've got those passages. You've got 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, staring at you all the time. And some of the ways those passages are misapplied and mishandled, um, you know, creates a whole other burden that guys feel like they, you know, they live under. And the way the church can view them through those those passages um, can 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 create a self awareness and a self consciousness that can crawl into your brain, and it can assault your sense of calling. It can assault your confidence to preach, and and so you know again. Those are experiences that God not simply allows, but but God directs because of what they produce in us. Because there are certain places in our heart, there are certain ways the gospel, he wants the gospel to take grip in our soul that can only be achieved by coming under the scrutiny of other people, hmm. by, by coming under the, a sense of disapproval, of, of misunderstanding, of being judged by other people. You know, God does some of his best work when our, you know, when our high view of ourselves is under assault. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's so good. Well, maybe as a kind of a final uh, discussion point, I wonder if you could uh, speak to the guy right now who's in seminary, or maybe he's about to enter seminary, or maybe he's just recently left seminary, but what would be uh, some maybe practical pieces of advice that you would offer to that person who is uh, wanting to make the most of the education that they, that they have? Well, I would be encouraging them to embed themselves in, in a local church. Um, Matt, I can't, I, I can't say this enough, and it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I believe deeply in that sense of not simply an external calling, but an internal calling as well. You know, pity the guy who, who did not receive any, in, any external validation going towards seminary and has graduated from seminary and is now seeking to broker his own call and doesn't know what to do. I mean, that's a really vulnerable position to be in. So I'm, I'm saying that attached to the internal, I'm sorry, attached to the external call slash confirmation is the local church. So don't approach seminary, experience seminary, or leave seminary without having the local church in view, and specifically the role of the local church in discipleship, the role of the local church in uh, care, in accountability, in just being able to get to know you well enough to be able to bring a perspective on your calling, and then, once you've graduated from seminary, to, to be able to advocate for your calling, to be able to, to, to work alongside of you and, and to you know, push you out and find places for you, or maybe even find a place for you in, in that local church. So I think that the, the, the place of the church I mean, that's the one thing that the seminary can't do. You know, the seminary can't be the church. And, and good, seminaries, good seminaries don't want to be the church. They understand their distinction. But, the, you know, the things you're not going to learn in seminary, you're not going to learn how to apply truth well. Because seminaries will teach you how to think 
But to pastor effectively, which is ultimately where most guys want to land, you you need to know how to care for people, how to lead people. Um, and so seminaries have ministry classes, but the local church, what the local church does is it forces application. It, it, I mean, Matt, the, the danger for seminaries is James 1.22. It's, you know, creating and fostering a culture where you're, you're hearing but not doing. Mm, yeah. L- local churches, you know, local churches are not about lecturing on weddings and funerals. They're about doing weddings and funerals. They're not about, <laughs> you know, it's not about discussing discipleship. It's about doing discipleship. So so nothing replaces the local church for application. And uh, that's what, what I would want guys in seminary and post-seminary to know. Mm, yeah, that's so good. Well, Dave, thank you so much for uh, sitting down again and talking about this really important, uh, influential time in pastors' lives on the seminary experience and uh, offering some wisdom to that end. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Matt. I enjoy having these conversations with you. That was Dave Harvey on how to make the most of your seminary education. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Am I Called? The Summons to Pastoral Ministry. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.